This is Pastor Matt at North Plinko Baptist Church. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Not Another Revelation Podcast. We hope you guys enjoy. All right, so we've been talking about Revelations, uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 9, and just to bring us up to what we talked about last week, uh, the, the seven seals are opened, and then when the seventh seal is opened, uh, after an interlude, that fires off the seven trumpets. And so we, we walked through those, uh, those first trumpets. Chapter 9 gets us to the fifth angel blowing his trumpet, star falling from heaven to the earth. Uh, he was given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the bottomless pit. The smoke came out. We had hordes of, of locust-like uh, with scorpion tails. So, you know, it, to set the scene, so, uh, physical location, a physical pit, uh, is located somewhere on, on the earth. We've got uh, groundskeeper Willie <laughs> with his his keys. Uh, he walks up. He's he unlocks the pit. Um, we said that uh, we we can. This doesn't have to be symbolic of anything. It can just be an angel who is set aside to do this. He's the keeper of the pit. Uh, he unlocks it. Uh, these uh, these. Scorpion locust creatures go all over the earth, and we kind of we went into a lot of detail on those. Um, and I, I just want to kind of review on their heads. They had what looked like crowns of gold, which signifies that they had power, they had authority, they could do what they were called to do. Um, on their faces were like human faces, which shows us that they have intelligence, they have intent, they have malice. Um, and we we talked about how. Uh, you know, like on, it, we read this and it kind of weirds us out that they have a human face. And mm-hmm. in all the drawings you, you get on Google, it's like, you know, a very clear human face. Yeah. But I can look at my dog and see the expression of a human. Yeah. When there's guilt, there's shame. And th- in this case, we see that, that there, there's intent. They know what they're doing. Um, their hair was like a woman's hair, which signifies that there's some sort of strange beauty going on here that, uh, their teeth are like lion's teeth. Uh, they are fierce. Uh, and I think we ended last week talking about how uh, there is not enough money printed to make me be that guy that puts my head uh, in a lion's mouth. Oh, but, yeah. Like I said, like the, uh, we talked about, I think last week was the guy, like the, the street side um, swamp attractions in Florida or Louisiana somewhere, the guy who's going to stick his head inside of an alligator. No yeah, way. No. no I, thank I'm you. Not doing that. So they have, uh, their teeth are like a lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, which is they're unstoppable. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle, which is overwhelming. And uh, we, we mentioned how sound uh, has a tendency, whether you want to pay attention to something or not, those sounds, those, those can be overpowering. Uh, and then finally that they, they have tails and stings like scorpions uh, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails inflicting intense mental and spiritual torment. Um, not a pleasant sight at all, not something that we, we want to deal with. Um, they have over them as a king, the angel of the bottomless pit and his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it's called Apollyon. And on, on the podcast I had asked uh, if anybody had 
Googled and, and found a heavy metal band, and I had someone that actually reached out to me. They did find a heavy metal band named yeah. Apollon, and he said they were disappointing, that they weren't as, uh, you know, Papa Roach as I really wanted them to be. That It's not as much double kick drum as you as you would have wanted. Yeah, I, I really want some screaming. I want yeah. some, I want, I, I, I can picture this band. If there's not a pig squealing in the background, then I don't want it. I, I mean, the long, greasy yeah. hair, the kind yeah, of, yeah, the, yeah. the the yes, we, we have the same image. So I'm just going to say to Apollon, if you listen, hey, let's bring it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and that's where we're, we're at now. Then the sixth angel blows his trumpet. So John says, now this, then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. So recognize, and, and we touched on this a little bit, that the scene of the throne room in heaven is laid out like the temple. Right. Uh, so we, we have uh, the, the altar of incense we've already had mentioned. So just like in the synagogue as described in the book of Exodus, uh, goes into great detail about what the altar looks like, that, that burnt offerings is made on, there's an altar. It has four corners or four horns on each corner of it. And so that's what's said here, that from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying the sixth angel who had, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And so a um, lot of ink has been spilled in commentaries about what's the significance of the Euphrates. Are we talking about the literal uh, river of Euphrates that runs through modern-day Iraq, or mm-hmm. is this just signifying stuff? And I think, again, and you're going to hear us say this a lot, the answer to that is yes. Yeah, well, and again, this is, an, this is definitely one of those places amongst a lot of spots in Revelation that uh, different commentators and, uh, and, and pastors and other people have, like you said, camped out here. I mean, they've got RVs, they've got a whole park set up here. Uh, because again, there's the thing with the Middle East and it will Iraq and that's the location. And then what you see in later in Revelation is do we start mentioning Babylon a lot? And so this, you know, this, the Euphrates tying in with the significance of Babylon and you see Babylon again later in the rest of, of Revelation, how that's mentioned and whatnot. And um, it, it, they, you can start splitting hairs a lot here. And a lot of people have chosen to, again, wear their pins out doing just that. And we we all have ter- in in language you have turns of phrase that may not be literal. So, for example, if I said that uh, you know uh, this guy at work he he yelled at the boss and and when he chose to do that he he crossed the Rubicon. <laughs> we know that he didn't literally get on a plane, fly to Italy, and then go across a, a river that yeah. separates Italy from 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 uh, the the Swiss out Al- the Italian out from the Swiss Alps that that has significance because once you cross the Rubicon there's no going back yep. so so we know what that means so some people have tried to say that the Euphrates River is like that that it's it represented the edge the boundary of civilized society and so saying that the angel came from the Euphrates would be like saying okay this is a barbarian horde yeah. Um, well, it's, it's, it's like the whole, like the joke you said, uh, or that, like I've heard, um, I don't know why. And so this is, I'm going to name a specific city, but I, and this is just because I remember this phrase is, I remember maybe seventh or eighth grade, we were going to Asbury in Marshall County, which is north of where we're at. And if anybody locally is listening and you know where Asbury's at, you're a very small percentage because it's just, there's, there's not a lot there. <laughs> right. And so we remember it's like when we were, it was one of the first times that we'd been there and like our bus driver had gone there and said, well, go to Albertville, take a right and... 
hope for the best kind of thing. And it's like one of those things, like again, like the, the example of the Euphrates is like, well, go past here. And if you hit it, you, you, you're there. <laughs> if you That's hit right. the Euphrates, you're, you've gone too far kind of thing. And so, it, like you said, it's kind of a turn of phrase, not really slang, but kind of the thing of, hey, once you've, once you've hit the Euphrates, you're, <laughs> you're there. You're, you're where you got to be. You're, you're somewhere. Right. Go, go to nowhere and then keep going. <laughs> so, I, and grow, whenever we have to park really far away, Ann and I have always used the phrase, well, I guess I had to uh, park in East Aboga. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to trying to make a child friendly uh, version of of some expressions that aren't child friendly. Well, my kids were actually angry the first time we ever from from Aniston went to Birmingham because they're like East Aboga is a real city. <laughs> they thought it was something that was made up. Now, if you blink, you can go past it. Oh, but, yes. it but it is a real place. That's right. So let me read from a commentary because this commentator says it better than I can. Uh, what he says is kind of tying together that that, that can be both and. Um, he says, uh, the Euphrates marked the eastern boundary of Rome's influence, beyond which barbarian power such as Parthia threatened the empire's peace. This river represents that which keeps civil chaos and wanton violence at bay. The release of its four destructive angels here, like the drying of its waters in 1612 through 16, unleashes unprecedented bloodshed and suffering. And so the Euphrates does have significant, and by the way, that's from the ESV Study Bible, uh, page 2476. <laughs> uh, but it does have symbolic significance, but John seems to me to be saying that it's, he's referring to the physical location as well. Yeah, I mean, he, like, it, and this is the kind of thing, it, it could be, and ultimately, it, it's not, we just know it's going to happen. Where it comes from is essentially immaterial. And if you lived in northern Italy and you said somebody crossed the Rubicon, they could be crossing the Rubicon. Right. And at some point when Caesar crossed the Rubicon, he physically went across a river that was called the Rubicon. Right. And so John saying that it's at the Euphrates makes me tend to lean toward the fact that we're physically talking about the Euphrates. And that's the audience, the audience you have, we, we, you've, we've, you've said and teaching me and, and talking about how we look at Scripture is looking at, who are the people he's talking to? Who are the people that he's going to send this letter out to? And so for them, they would have said, oh, the Euphrates, okay. Right, yeah, right, right over at. there. Yeah. My Uncle John lives like <laughs> right down from that. We, 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 uh, a hop, skip, and a jump? Is that what it is? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. live right over there. So, um, so the angel goes to, to the river Euphrates. Um, so then the text goes on. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. Okay, so there are four angels that God has prepared for this particular moment that are released. Now, again, a lot of ink has been spilled. Is this symbolic? Because the four angels are released, but then we have 200 million troops that are mentioned. Um, is this symbolic or is this literal angels? I, I have to, I don't see the word like here anywhere. I think there are four little angels. Could four little angel, angels influence world events to the point that an army of 200 million barbaric troops are going across the face of the earth? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So I, I, I think sometimes we overcomplicate things by looking for symbolism and he's just saying there's there's four angels there yeah they're right right there and sometimes there is symbolism and it doesn't detract from the fact that 
it really happened too. Um, and so we're going to use throughout this study in the book of Revelation, the same hermeneutic that we would use in the book of Galatians. We're looking for the simplest, easiest, readable thing that the first century readers would have heard. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we look for that author's intent is because ultimately the original author is the Holy Spirit, and we want to honor his intent. Right. Okay, so this is a bad scene. We got, we have the Again, since it's coming outside of the boundaries of Rome, it, we have this barbaric concept of troops. 200 million of them are mentioned. Uh, uh, 10,000 is the largest uh, Greek number. So 10,000 by 10, times 10,000 could literally just mean an uncountable because right. it's saying, you know, as, as if, if you were talking to a buddy and you said a bazillion times yeah, a bazillion. Yeah. Um, or it could be 200. It's more... 200 million or greater. Yeah, at least it's a ton. It's a lot. More than you're able to hoard AR-15s and ammo enough oh, to defend goodness. yourself again. Oh, no. Okay, so here you have this, and, and one of the things that, that John is showing us, and uh, as somebody that did serve in the, in the Marine Corps, uh, there are rules to war. Now, sometimes they feel silly, like you can't use uh, a... a a 50 caliber machine gun on personnel. You can't shoot a person with it. Right. You can shoot equipment with it, so like a belt or a uniform, but you can't shoot the person mm -hmm. with it because the Geneva Convention says that that causes too much um, uh, mental anguish right. to people thinking that. So that, that there are rules to war. You can't just indiscriminately go in and firebomb uh, a 20 square mile radius area because you know somewhere in that 20 square miles is your enemy. Right. And just go, well, the rest of it is collateral damage. I hate, I hate it. But, and you can't do that because their nations have come together since, literally since the League of Nations and said, here's the rules we're going to fight under. And, and there are restraints. You can't uh, just go in and round everybody up in a town and start shooting them. You can't just take prisoners of war, and, who people who've surrendered and, and shoot them. You can't shoot at paratroopers as they're coming down because they're defenseless. Yeah. There, there are rules like this. And John saying that, they're, that, that this is all happening on the other side of the Euphrates means that the rules are off the table. Well, and I think in like, even in American history, when you see the impact of stepping outside of those kind of, of rules of warfare, like guerrilla warfare and stuff like that, like that's a whole different animal. Viet Cong, stuff like that in the Vietnamese War, it's different. Like, it's it's a very different aspect of things. Uh, even I, I, I remember watching, growing up, one of my favorite movies was The Patriot. I love the history. Mel Gibson's a great job. It's fun. No, I'm not uh, sure that's the most historically no, accurate. No, but I didn't say that I like portrayal. it. But see, but I remember in the movie, like, seeing when he they start taking – commanders and stuff like that, lieutenants and things like that, and they start doing things that you're not supposed to do in terms of, I guess, wartime etiquette type things. You're not supposed to do that. It it really jostles you because, again, that's just not how it's supposed to go. And so when you when people are, are portraying and, and taking part in the guerrilla warfare and, and stuff like that, where essentially all the rules are out the window, that could be just a small glimpse of what you're seeing here when it's just literally all hell has broken loose. Literally, yes. And so... You have 200 million non-rule-following barbaric troops circling the globe, and a third of the Earth's population is killed. 
And again, we, we're we looking at this and looking through what we've talked about so far. If the population today is what, seven and some, and some change billion? Seven and some change. Yeah. yeah, seven and some change billion. Well, we look at, again, from the timeline that, that we're looking at, okay, there's the rapture. So that's a certain odd amount of people. The percentage is impossible to say, but that's a significant amount of people that are no longer on the earth, okay? And and then we've got a fourth of the earth earlier, so that's two billion or so, a fourth of the earth earlier in Revelation that's taken away. So just off that number outside of the rapture, we're at eh, six and five and a half-ish billion. Sure. And then we've got, uh, I, I mean, after it's all said and done and what we're coming to, we're- We've already from, had pestilence that came yeah, in. Yeah, so what we're looking at is now we're close to, we're under five billion people, and that's just if it happened, that's using the, the numbers from today and, and our time right now. This could be whenever, but just if, if we're looking at our context today, we're now under five billion people, which, yeah, that's a lot of people, but considering we were at almost eight to begin with, this is significantly breathtaking. Like This is scary because more and more people are just getting wiped off the face of the planet the more that this chugs along. And just imagine, okay, so after 9-11, that's all anybody talked about. I, rem- I remember... Um, the weeks after 9-11, seeing foreign newspapers uh, headlines saying, we, we are America, that we're standing with America. And mm-hmm. everybody talked about that. And that was, you know, 2,500 people who died. Yeah. I remember when the tsunamis hit Indonesia and talking about 200,000 people dying in those tsunamis. And it just being, that, that's a number that's too big to comprehend. Mm-hmm. We're now getting into the a third of the world's, world's population dying, several billion people dying. I mean, we're looking at two and a half, three billion people, and that's probably on the small side of the estimate. And that's, I mean, I, I struggle to count past 100 or so times, sometimes if I'm just thinking, and uh, this is a lot. This is super heavy. I mean, to think of what the what the globe looks like from from a environment standpoint, an ecological standpoint of all that's happened, and now more and more and more death. It's just this is it's just not a good place. This is not good what we're seeing. Absolutely. And so, and as we as John describes what this this apocalypse looks like, it just seems to get worse and worse. So. Um, they're released to kill a third of mankind. The, the number of the mounted troops was twice, 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and the fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. So l- let's talk through this because this is pretty, pretty horrific. So I, a lot of folks have tried to say, uh, in fact, one commentator that I read went went into great detail about how 200 million horses could be bred, how we could have a, a <laughs> army on 200,000 cavalrymen. I, I don't think you have to be that literal. Recognize that John is seeing this vision as a first century guy. He's not going to know what light infantry looks like yeah. if they're running around on Humvees. Right. Don't get wrapped around a hub about the fact that they're that they're on horses. Just recognize that if you're a first century foot soldier, and you've got like a sharpened stick as your weapon, mm-hmm. a dude riding up on a mounted, uh, armored horse, you're not going to be able to defend yourself against. Yeah, no way. And so the image that he's giving here is an unstoppable, undefeatable enemy who 
comes sweeping in, and the, the image that comes to mind is really the, the Mongol hordes and how horrified Europe was to see the entire horizon covered with mounted soldiers yeah. that they couldn't fight. They were bringing a type of warfare to, to the scene that they had never seen before. These dudes were firing their arrows from the back of a horse. They didn't have saddles, so they could literally turn and face backwards as they rode. There was nothing they could do. to. There was It was unstoppable. So that at some point during the Mongol invasions, they would literally just park outside the city and go, so you're going to surrender? We're going to kill you all. And they'd be like, no, no, we're good. We are now Mongol. You got a flag? We're ready to raise that bad boy. So John wants us to see uh, the details are significant, but I think the first thing that we, we need to get is that this is an unstoppable, undefensible enemy that it's this 200 million troops against all of mankind. The other things that we see uh, immediately is that they wear the color of fire, which is is you know red and yellow. Everybody here has seen fire. Um, sapphires, which is red, uh, and sulfur, which is yellow. So red and yellow. Now, what is that telling us? Well, uh, if you in your mind right now, I were to, to say uh, picture a soldier, you're probably going to picture him dressed up like a tree. Yeah. Probably so. I mean, when we think of what the military guys look like, it is camouflage because that's what the American BDUs look like. That you know, you can see a Canadian soldier, and he's got different kinds of camouflage, and you have different camouflage for uh, desert attire or for mountainous attire or whatever, whatever. And the reason is is because when we fight, we don't want to be seen. Right. In fact, almost all training for infantry is cover and concealment. How do you hide? Now, if you think about it from your American history classes, the British were known as the Redcoats, which doesn't make make a whole lot of sense, except in 17th century world, they didn't want to be camouflaged. They wanted you to see them. Yeah. Because they were, uh, as a military force, the baddest dudes on the block. They wanted you to know they were coming. They were wearing bright red. There was no doubt who they were. There was no doubt what they were here for. We didn't have to worry about, hey, are these guys coming in peace? Because no, they're not. <laughs> if the, the Redcoats come marching down your street, they're coming for a reason. Yep. And, and, and it, it's not to sit down and have a tea and some biscuits. It's not. No, and it's so not. Um, that's the sort of thing that we, we, we're getting here. John is saying their, their breastplates are bright and red and yellow and the color of sapphire, that you know what? They're coming in, and they don't care if you see them or not because you can't stop them. And so uh, they wore, they, the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouth. And so let's just take each one of those. So fire uh, is, consumes whatever's in front of it. Mm-hmm. Fire doesn't care if the, the, the book in your library is very precious and you love it. It's going to burn it up anyway. Yeah. It doesn't care if it's garbage. It will burn it up anyway. Doesn't care. Fire consumes, and it, and it, once it starts burning, it just is a raging inferno. That um, the reason why modern firefighters have such detailed techniques is because, especially in the world that we live in today, with plastics and stuff like that, once the fire starts raging, just throwing some water on it's not going to put it out. It's not yet. Um, I mean, if the water evaporates before it gets to it, all you're doing is making a pretty steam. <laughs> and so um, here you've got these horses who have fire. They have smoke coming out of their, their mouths and their, their backsides. And so 
that is uh, smoke is a crazy thing because if you are in an apartment or in your house and there's a fire somewhere else in the house, that smoke can find you. Oh yeah, for sure. Every every crack, every crevice, every break from uh, from one room to the other, it's going to find it. And there's not much. There's really not much you can do to deter it. I mean, they're, they're just sim- similar to fire in the way that it spreads and move maybe not as quickly but just as methodical the same and you you can't if you're trapped inside something if you're enclosed in, in something that smoke is going to get to you and you're and, and just to think that at some point you're struggling to breathe anytime you ever think of of suffocating or or Ugh. any of that kind of stuff like it it's there's a lot of bad ways to go. That's one of them for yeah. me. Like that's just that every at every nerve ending, every muscle in my in my every fiber of my being is grasping for oxygen. And the more that I'm breathing, the more I cough, and the more I cough, the more I can't breathe, and so forth and so on. And you, then you mix fear and panic and all those things into it. it, it that's just awful. It just sounds terrible. I, I think of we've all seen that movie, right, where the protagonist, the the hero of the story, is. Uh, in a house that's on fire, and they get to the back room, and they, you think they're safe, and they're looking at the door, and then underneath the sto- door comes smoke. Yeah. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> um, that's the image that John is putting out here. You've got the fire, but then you also have the smoke, and then finally he says sulfur, and with sulfur, you're dealing with a smell. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked about how sound can can overpower you that that even when you're not you're, you're trying not to think about something that sound is... I, I, uh, I have a next door neighbor that has this little y- yippy dog <laughs> that when they let the dog out to, to, to go potty, uh, they just open the door and the dog goes out. And what the dog does is for a good solid three hours, just sits on the porch and goes, yeah, 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 over and over and over. And I can be on the other side of the house away from the dog watching TV as loud as I can put it without you know and going please turn it down to try to over and i can still hear that yeah, every every bark your body just cringes and it's, flinches because it just gets under your skin i've literally gone on amazon and looked at like the 80 dollar stop bark where you point it at the dog and it puts out some kind of subsonic sound <laughs> I'm like is it really worth 80 dollars to me i don't i don't know, I don't know. so i would say even more overpowering than sound is odor yeah, it's it's tough. Like, I remember you growing up, and you go to judgment houses and stuff. If 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 hell was not full, if, if hell didn't smell like rotten eggs, then it wasn't a good judgment <laughs> house. We again, again. I, can, can you buy a I rotten egg? I in don't a can? know how it works. I don't know if they had a guy like you who just sits around and peels peels boiled eggs until it smells <laughs> bad, but uh, literally keeps boiled eggs in his pocket just just because. Uh, but anyways, it was it's not, not just because it's it a is good no, it's of just, protein. It's just because it's just. To, be the guy with eggs in his pocket, uh, but yeah, I, if, I have an egg in my pocket right now. <laughs> if, it, if at the judgment house, if it didn't smell like sulfur, it didn't smell like rotten eggs, and you didn't do it well enough. And, I, I mean, just think about if you've ever been to a theater where where some little old lady is just poured on the perfume, <sighs> and your eyes kind of water, and you're 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 like ah, there there are some smells, um, and sulfur is pretty much every stinky thing that you think of the yeah. reason why it stinks is because of the sulfur in it yeah uh i i uh help some with the the local police department as a chaplain and i've been to a couple of scenes before where uh, a human has passed away and that smell there is is there's nothing that's like what it. They said, there's nothing like 
death, and not only death, old death. Well, and and I've seen the uh, investigators try to take a skillet and put uh, coffee grounds, no water or anything, just the coffee grounds, yeah. and put that to burn it so that that overcomes it. I, I literally have like a tube of uh, of mint, just menthol mm-hmm. that I will put in my nostrils so that you know my, and that'll make your eyes water. It'll open you up a little. It'll bit. open you up a little bit, but. <laughs> That's all you can smell, but but some smells you can taste. I mean, uh, it's just it's it's weird how that works, and it will follow you. I mean, I can can go into a ZPQ or something where somebody's been smoking cigarettes, yeah, and I will go home and Ann will be like, "Who you been around since smoking?" I was like, I, "I don't know. I didn't get their ID. I, I don't." Um, but it just clings to you. Yeah, if it's on it's on your clothes, and then if it's in your nostrils, you're gonna taste it. If you if it's if you've breathed in that same kind of air, you're gonna taste it. You, I mean, you can scrub your tongue. Guess what? You're still gonna you're taste still it. Gonna it's just it. yeah. it's it's just in there for a few hours, up to a day or so, and you gotta immediately go home, wash your clothes. You gotta do. I mean, I just don't. You don't want the smell anymore. I, mean, I love more than anything. I love a good bonfire. Oh yes. Um, and the kids had a thing where you know it's called back to smoke to mix it with smell. But if you're standing around the bonfire, you know, you're, you're roasting your marshmallows or whatever, and the smoke gets in your face where they would say, I hate bunnies, I hate bunnies, I hate yeah. bunnies. Cause that's White what, rabbits, fuzzy bunnies, whatever, whatever you say. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, why, why do we hate bunnies? So I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if that works. I don't know if that's one of those wives' tales kind of thing. I've seen it work sometimes. I've seen it, work, I've seen it not work other times. So, I mean, 50-50. But if that happens to you, guaranteed, whatever you're wearing at that moment is going to smell like campfire yes. until it gets clean. In fact, uh, here in Alabama right now, we're just now getting into cold weather stuff. And I uh, was going somewhere. I needed a jacket really quick. I opened the, the coat closet, threw it on, and immediately thought, oh, the last time I had this on, I must have been around a bonfire or something <laughs> because I could smell... Uh, the, the, that smell. So here you've got fire, smoke, and sulfur, those three overpowering things, indefensible things, and they're coming out of both their head and their, ta- their tail. Um, so by these three plagues, the fire, the smoke, and the, the sulfur, by these three plagues, um, a third of mankind is killed by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horse is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by no means of them they and by the means of them they wound. So here you've got, and again, a, a lot, lot of commentaries have tried to understand the symbolism here and recognize. Blessed is the person that reads the book of Revelation, and right now you're probably going, I'm not feeling real blessed. I'm not feeling happy well, about we've, this. We've gone back and forth a little bit. There's been some, there's been some cool stuff. There's been some really joyous moments, but this, this one is a, where we start turning, all right, this is about as bleak as it gets This from what we've gone through so far. And it gets worse, but it, it's pretty dark at the moment. So it says that the power of the horses in their mouth and their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads. So we've got a, a mad. Ma- Medusa butt kind of thing so going on here. So there's fire and everything coming out of their mouth, and then we've got a, a snake on its butt. I don't, I, I don't know what we've got. Can you say butt? We've said it three or four times. Uh, yeah, we've I already so. said it now. But also recognize that we're, we we've we've stepped off in the full on simile here. Yes, we've got yeah. the word like over and over and over. He's again. describing it to the best that he can because more than likely it's nothing that he's ever seen before, and we can sit here and draw and map and blueprint and. All of these things, and the reality is, we could come up with our best assumption, our best attempt, and more than likely, it's going to be something completely not even left field. I mean, like the whole a whole different zip code kind of thing, because I just think this is that powerful and 
unearthly. This is not going to be something that I think in the in the in the finite minds that we have. I, I don't think that this is something that we can come up with or do any sort of justice because of of how fearful it's. Well, I mean, not fearful is supposed to be, but of how how much wrath has been poured out on the earth. It's going to be something like we've never experienced, and even in our best attempts, are not going to be able to do, to do justice. So. I think about the description we have here. We have a horse's body, a lion's head, and when we think of lion, and we think of oh, the pretty cute Lion King movies. It's not and stuff. Simba. It's no, no. not Simba. The reason why when you go to the zoo, the lion is behind a fence, and then another fence, and then a big moat filled with water, and then like two foot of glass. And yeah, the reason for all of that is because lions are ferocious. Yeah, and that they are intimidating, and um, you know, we've said before. My favorite Instagram account is uh, Nature Is Metal. Last night there was a Nature Is Metal dropped two lions in an argument. It was a it was a male lion that was the <laughs> alpha male, and then a younger male lion. They had just killed uh, you know an antelope or something, and the the alpha lion wanted the the babies to eat, uh-huh. and this younger male wanted to just go ahead and eat it. Yeah. And so the alpha was telling him in lion code, get away from this kill, let the babies eat. It wasn't exactly the same. My mother would have similar conversations with me at the church fellowships yes, because all of, us, yes. all, all of us would run to the front of the line, and my mom's like, uh, no, you just you just broke three old ladies' hips trying to get <laughs> up here to these chicken fingers. You yes. Just, so, you got to go to the back. So I mean, this is going on in same, lion world. But, and, and in the, the – I was, I was watching – I was looking this after my wife had already gone to sleep and so I noticed that the the writer had put you're missing out if you don't turn on the sound and so I I literally got snuck up and went to a different part of the house (laughs) and turned the sound and the sound that these lions were making even when in the video they're just looking at each other the sound that they're making in their chest was saying I will eat you and not care (laughs) I will maul your face off And that's not hyperbole. No. That's what will happen. Exactly. I will maul your stinking face off. So we have these horse things that have the head, which is, by the way, for a lion, the most destructive part. Right. I mean, nobody. I would say I don't want to get swatted by a lion. I don't. I don't want to get kicked by one. Yeah, but the the part I'm really going to avoid is the head. Those, yeah, that that the, mouth can, is... Yeah, those six-inch fangs. It is not good. Uh, and the fact that when they jump on something, they they always try to bite its back so that they can break its back. Their bite is that oh, strong. Goodness, that's yeah. tough. So they have a head of a lion. They have the they have the body and the strength of a horse. So if you've ever watched, there are a few things that are that are cooler looking or more muscular looking. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen many fat horses, but the, uh, I, I like to run and own my. Uh, one of my daily runs, I run to buy where there's some horses in Glencoe. Do they talk to you? No, but they no, will. They don't talk early to you. morning, they don't do it in the afternoon. I don't know why, but if I run by at like five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, they will run along beside me. That's cool. And kind of watch me, like, what are you? What are you? What are you doing? That's pretty and cool. They're clearly not even breaking a sweat. They don't care. And and these are old lines. I mean, they're sway back. They're old. Yeah. And still, as they're running, that ripply, muscly. 
um, it's no big thing to them. And I, you know, I'm sitting there sucking wind and going. And if you if you watch a horse race, to see like the miles per hour and just oh gosh, it's insane. And like if you and I've never been to one, but like you again, like you talk about like the audio that you hear from that, the dirt coming up, hooves on the ground, kind of thing, like thunder. Yeah, that is it's some that is something different. So we've got the head of a lion, the body of a horse, and now he's he's added on that the tail is like a Medusa. It's, it's snakes, plural. I'm just, there's a again, lions, and even I'm not gonna just go. I'm not gonna just go petting a bunch of horses. Gonna feel getting kicked. Even what I'm definitely not gonna do. I just don't mess with snakes. I don't I just, like. Snakes. I don't like snakes. I, I am. I, I am a firm believer. Satan was a snake for a reason. So I should That's probably right. stay away from him. Satan. As what is it that Bubba Bussy says? Satan's little hand puppet. Yeah, exactly. I they, don't want that. And they, you know what? Even the most friendly. Uh, garden snake Not looks a, no. the way they stick their tongue out mm-hmm. and the fork fork tongue. Okay, bunch of little jerks. So, uh, I remember one time we lived at a farm and uh, I, I was working a job where I had to work uh, late at night, and so I was sleeping during the day. And Ann was up with the kids, and I heard uh, at the time we had I had only had the two oldest, so there were girls. I heard three squeals from the kitchen. <laughs> Go, go down to check it out, and uh, Ann says, there, there's a snake in the cabinet. And I'm like, no, there's not. And that's, I'm thinking that there's a rubber snake or, uh, you know, it's a garden hose. Or something. It's, it's, there's not a snake in the cabinet. So I open the cabinet, and lo and behold, I'm staring face-to-face with this snake that's sticking his tongue out at me. And so uh, I, I, uh, it, was, it was cold. It was getting cold, which is probably why the snake came in the house. Right. And so I, I grabbed the snake by the head, and my plan had been to open the door and just throw it in the yard. And so I grabbed, and it was a small snake. It was like three foot. It wasn't that big at all. So I grabbed the snake by the head, and I go to open the door, and the deadbolt is locked. And so I can't open the door. And the key's not in the deadbolt because we have little kids that would wander out. And so I'm like, where's the key? And Ann's like, it's in the, the drawer. And I'm like, it's not in the drawer. And the whole time I'm, we're having this. You're, you're rummaging through the package drawer with a yeah, snake Yeah, I'm, I'm rummaging through the junk drawer. And I'm, this snake is coiling and uncoiling. You're through Ziploc bags and batteries <laughs> and right. plastic Why do we have? <laughs> Why do we have these C batteries? No one uses these. Nothing has a C anymore. <laughs> and so I'm looking for the key to the deadbolt. And the whole time this snake is coiling and uncoiling tight and tighter on my wrist and it is just the grossest nastiest feeling ever and just the realization that a snake is like one big muscle Mm. i mean people that have boa constrictors as a pet are sick in the head there's got to be that's probably an overgeneralization probably probably so matt at pastor matt (laughs) at northlandco.org but um that is an animal that wants to hug you to death I mean, that, when you're feeding that snake a rat, it's looking at you going, huh, just give me a few years. I can get some size on me. I'm no. taking you down. I can't. I can't. I they're just don't just like them. Nasty. I just don't like them. And they're, 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 they can, you know, you read stati- how, like, they can, they can flatten themselves down to get under doorways, yes. and they can they sneak everywhere, and they hide everywhere. I'm just saying, and Look, you're absolutely I'm, right. I'm hearing a lot of a lot of things that, that are just real similar to Satan. I'm just telling you. That's all I hear here. So um, th- this, this horse-lion hybrid has a tail like a serpent with heads. So the tails aren't just like the, the slithery part. They it's got, all of it. It's all of it. It's got the head so that um, – and there are types of snakes that – like a black mamba that will bite you and you literally just fall over dead. There's, yeah. no, there's no hope. 
and even snakes that that their venom is weaker, like you know, like a rattlesnake or a, a copperhead. I, I don't want to be bit by any snake. I mean, no. if this is a pine snake. It's not. It's non venomous. I don't. I don't really care. I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not. I'm not up for that. Not about that. Um, but a, a venomous snake, and you look at the the, the way the fangs are made, to where they hook so that you can't get them out. Um, John is has literally just just described the most wicked, indefensible killing machine. It is horrifying. It is horrifying. You have something that can run fast like a horse, has the head of a lion, and, and hanging of off of his butt are a bunch of venomous snakes. That's quick. That can strike. That can move. That is shifty, sneaky. I, I just, I, I, just, I don't want any part of this. And so, two hundred million of these things Golly. are roaming the earth. Killing everybody, a third of humanity dies. So you would think. Honestly, I'm surprised it's that little. If I hear the, I mean, the more that we talk about these things, I'm surprised it's not more. I, I, yeah. I mean, you you can't get away from. It's just uh, so you would think that there would be that mankind would say, okay, God's God's serious. And this is. We've talked about a lot of really cool parts in Revelation. Uh, all of the the throne room in heaven, those kind of moments that we can, you know, and, and something for me as a young pastor and learning, like, again, talking to, if you're talking a family or whatever through death or through the passing away of a family member, and you've talked about this, is how those moments that you've seen in Revelation, the throne room and stuff like that, like that as believers, if we know that, that that's where they're at. So there, there's been a lot of, of joyous parts and, and joyful pictures that we've seen, but this one is the most heartbreaking thing that we've seen in the book, and it, it honestly, it's, probably, it's, it's one of the most heartbreaking things in the book. We talk about the overview of Revelation, that throughout this this whole book, it says, it talks about repenting more than any other book in Scripture, and then God has poured out his wrath on the earth, and not even the totality of the wrath. At this point, we haven't seen all of it yet. Yeah, we've, we've only just, gone through two of the ones. Yeah, we've only gone through, we're, we're 66% through God's wrath, and still, and it's awful, Half the, I mean, almost half the earth is dead. There's these lion horse snakes running around, and yet still we come to what we see, and everyone says, "You know what? Nah, we're we're good doing what we're doing. We're we're everything's going so well for us right now. We'll stick to our guns. We'll keep doing what we're doing." I would go so far, Matt, to say that that Revelation nine twenty and twenty one are some of the saddest verses in the Bible. Absolutely, and it, they read. The rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues. The very fact that, that John says, and the people who weren't killed, kind of like what you were saying, I'm surprised that more people aren't dead, yeah. did not repent of the works of their hands, nor giving up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or talk, nor did they repent of their murders, their sorceries, or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. They doubled down on their sin. Yeah, I mean, they just... Like the toddler who says, you know, your, your mom or dad says, do this. They say, make me. I mean, that's the that's the heart that has that's been shown here. Is God is saying, we please, please, will you turn? Will you see what's going? Will you see that this is not the way? How you're living is not the way. How you're acting is not what's supposed to happen. And they say, go ahead, try it, big fella. Make me. Mm. And, and, and and he's just it's heartbreaking. It, it really is. It really is. I, I think if. As we read this, you would think in your mind, if anything's going to cause mankind to repent and say, okay, God, I can't do this on my own. My ideas about self, 
uh, reliance, our mythology, I need to call out on you that the, the lion snake horse, uh, the lion horse snake butt hybrid would be the thing that would call man to repentance. But, but you know, this kind of reminds me of in Luke 16, Jesus tells the story of rich man, the rich man and Lazarus. And it says, and Lazarus died and in, uh, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, he calls and talks across this gulf and asks Abraham to send Lazarus to his brothers to tell them and warn them not to come to hell. And Abraham says to Lazarus, look, if they won't believe the Bible that they've got in their house, they're not going to believe it, even if a dead man were come to life. And we think about it, if they're not going to believe everything. What is it? Romans 1, Romans 1 that talks about that, that God's created every, that, that people are being drawn to God, whether they quote unquote know it or not, per se. Like whether I know that I'm being drawn to God because I, I walk in that, I live in it. Like I know that for people who could be an atheist who would acknowledge that, well, no, I'm not being drawn to God because I'm not searching after, I'm not whatever. Well, they're being drawn to God by creation, by encounters with other believers, whether they, by the, what they say or how they act. However God has orchestrated that, there's, it, I, I don't know, th- there's still people being drawn to God whether they know it or not and still you think that all this has gone down where, again, they see the wrath and the anger of God. And and even, like, again, selfishly, well, when it goes happen to somebody else, oh, well, that happened, then it won't happen to me. Well, it's literally happening to them. It's literally right. happening to people on the earth. And they're saying, eh, nah, we're, we're good. And then, then it lists out the sins that they continue doing, that they continue sticking with. And the first one is worshiping demons. So the, the question naturally comes up, so are they, are they like literally falling down? And all these demon hordes, we had the, the, the locust demons that came. Uh-huh. Uh, is that what they're worshiping? And, we got and, Apollyon uh, out here running around leading some stuff. And so the, I would be willing to bet that there are going to be some people Probably that— Probably so. Because I, I guarantee you that at some point during this, there's some T-shirts that are printed up with Apollyons written on it. Um, <laughs> Some people getting the tats. Yeah. Uh, I saw a girl the other day. The other day I was at um, a Dollar General, not in, in Gadsden, uh, and saw a girl with on her shoulder a COVID-19 tattoo. I don't understand that. I just do not. I mean, if, if you're 19, I guess it's had a big influence on your life because like a whole year of it. I, I don't know. No. I, I did not go up to her and go, so what's up with the COVID Again, uh, that's got to be, if you talk to any tattoo artist, I would just like to hear... Who, when they got this, what did what went through your head? And obviously, you can't. I guess you can't say because I mean, what are you going to tell them? No. I mean, if you're just rolling in it, I guess you can. But I mean, that's how you're getting money. But it's like some of the things that people need to put on their body. And this is a guy who has four tattoos, but and all of them mean something to me. Like I don't have again, I don't have Elmer Fudd shaking hands with Bugs Bunny on my hip. Like I don't have that. Like that would be stupid. Uh, I, that's that's dumb. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining this right now, but. <laughs> Uh, so is it that they're directly worshiping demons? And, and you know what? If you think about it, all of our sin ultimately is, is an act of worship. Well, it's, and we see the word idol, which is essentially anything that's going to take the place of God that we sit here and 
I mean, it could be it, it could anything that's going to take the place of God, anything that's going to take the role of Lord in our life, specifically what we make with our hands. And that could be, again, the thing that hangs in our pocket, whether it be your phone or the social media that's wrapped up in your phone. It could be your kids. It could be your family. It could be your job. It could be money. We could sit here forever and talk about all the different things that can be idols and all the different things that we struggle with in our life that we make as idols. Uh, and, and again, the people say, you know, all this other stuff is more right. important than knowing Jesus and following him. And Martin Luther said, the human heart is an idol factory. And I will, can say of my own heart that I will, the Holy Spirit will point out idols to me and I will slay them and literally walking away from that idol, I'm making a new one in my mind. <laughs> Possibly out of the pieces of the ones we just uh, yes. broke. Yeah, <laughs> we can we can find something to to worship, to allow to control us, and sometimes it's the stupidest things. And and it's always amazed me at how quick uh, we are to to allow things to control us. In fact, there's a, a a Christian song that I remember from years ago that had a line in it, and I really can't even remember who the author was, but I, I'll never forget the line. And it says. No sooner has God freed me from the shackles than I miss their familiar weight. And so we can't look at these people and go, the idols that they're running after is the issue. And the, 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 the sins that they repented of, um, this sounds like it's coming out of the newspaper. Murders, um, sorceries. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, you know, you're picturing Ouija boards. And All these Harry Potters running around. <laughs> Right, <laughs> but the what? word sorceries is just pharmaceo. It's drugs. It's drugs. Yeah. So you've got. I mean, I read recently that the American population today is the most medicated group of human beings in human history. And you know when you see those people, like you do. You know when you see, and again, and this is not to say no one should be medicated for all, for health reasons or anything. I think that that is those are things that that God has blessed doctors with and with knowledge and all those things. I mean, this is someone who I've got diabetes. I take medicine for it. That's not that's the point. Is not don't take any medicine because that's stupid. The point is, don't abuse it. There are things that are for, again... You yeah, don't get, be snorting your metformin. Yeah, you can't do that. I don't know what that does for you, but I can't imagine. I tell you, <laughs> let me just tell you, I know what metformin does to me, and I do not want to snort it. I don't want that. But uh, but but not taking advantage of those things, and, and because when you see those people, and you see how they act in life in terms of they're just... They're zombies walking. Like, what kind of quality well, of I mean, life do they have? Well, I mean, you don't even have to take it whatnot? that far. I mean, the addiction can... I, I, I've watched people that I loved who are reasoned, well-meaning people, in some cases believers, who that demon on their back has caused them to to ruin their relationships with their families. It's yeah. caused them to lose jobs. It's caused them to to almost become a different person. Right. And and that is, that is really sad. Now, pharmakeo always in the New Testament is translated as sorceries or witchcraft, and the reason for that is is because in the first century, if if I wanted to get in touch with Diana, what I would do is go uh, take some sort of you know take some weeds or some some opiates opiates or, yeah. or whatever, and and by getting high, I could commune with that that God. Yeah, it, hey, you know what? Drugs make you feel good. You're going for a trip. Well, I mean, even if you're you're you know, caffeine, I mean, w- coffee is is a, a pretty well-used drug, and we use that because we like the way it makes us feel. Be around me at 6 a.m. before my coffee, it's and you'll see it's not a good thing. It's, so I, this has become a god that, an idol, like we've talked about, that 
these people say, I'm not giving that up. Yeah. Even in the face of our, our demon horde, there's sexual immorality. And uh, we want to pick and choose which sexual immorality is being referred to here mm. sometimes. And this is, uh, John uses the word porneo, which just is an all covering anything outside of the way that God defined sex to be used. And, and you know, I've heard preachers say, and, and I, I like the way that this is put, that Satan can't create anything, that what he does is he warps things that God has created. And so sex was something that God created that was good. He said it was very good after he made man and woman and told them to go fill the earth. And we know how they would have to get together to fill the earth. Well, and Paul, is it in 1 Corinthians or 2? I think, I think it's 1 Corinthians. When he says flee all sexual immorality. He didn't sit there and just name out a specific two or three that he just really didn't like. Okay, whether that, I mean, that's adultery, homosexuality, pornography. I mean, whatever, what, whatever that falls into of sexual immorality, Paul says, flee it. Run away. Yeah. Like and Joseph, leave everything behind and run. And so, again, we like, like you said, we've talked about within within the church and the, the, big, the big church, the global church, not necessarily North Glencoe, but... We kind of pick and choose. We kind of pick and choose between, oh, well, you know, that the the guy who's cheating on his wife or the lady who's, you know, living with her boyfriend or whatever, and they're not married, you know, well, you know, grace. You but know, then hey, someone, you, you, who are you to cast the first stone? Yeah, but then the someone who is struggling with same-sex attraction, and it's not even to say they're a practicing homosexual, just as someone who comes out and says, hey, you know what, I'm struggling with that. Or like, oh, hold on here. Oh, you no, that is that is just unacceptable. That is just a different breed. In reality, we're not lessening the sin. We want to just put the magnifying glass on all sexual morality, just like we want to put the magnifying glass on all sin. Sin bad. God is good. Stop <laughs> sinning. Follow God. Like it's right. not it's not rocket science, but we like to pick and choose which ones. And I think I've heard you say this: the ick factor. Which one makes us the most uncomfortable is the one we start to you know run like our hairs on fire about. And historically, in the church, we have a tendency to point our finger the loudest at the sins that we don't struggle with. If I'm not struggling with it, then anybody who does is, clearly is weaker. And so we have to, we just have to be careful of that. Again, we're not, we're, I'm not, it, it's just, it's amazed me that the same person that can, can say, well, yeah, I know that he had an affair, but you know, uh, he's without sin, cast the first stone. Um, we all struggle with that kind of an attitude is also going to be the person who who flips out about a different sin. Well, I gotta, and again, not to be judgmental, but I also imagine that there's probably some sin in that individual's life that we're kind of, well, you know, everybody else probably does. I mean, it's... it's eh. It's, it's not that big. I mean, it's not that big. Well, we all justify our sin. Yeah, for sure. But I, but making the, making the statement of, again, the bottom line is, hey... We need to we need to look at the sin in our life before we start judging other people first and foremost. But it, the problem is sin. Whatever that looks like, whatever the sin is in your life, your sin tendencies, your sin struggles. The first, the only one, the only time you've ever done that sin, the hundred thousandth first time you've done that sin, whatever the sin that's in your life is a problem. It's a it's it's a a barrier between you and God, and that cannot stand. That cannot stand, and you walk truthfully and with Jesus and walk foot, step by step with Him. Like that cannot stay. And so, whether that's you know lying or cheating on 
on you know, if you if you if you embezzle money, that's one. If you struggle, is listed right here, <laughs> taking something that's not yours. If you embezzle money, if you struggle with same sex attraction, whatever sin is sin bad, God good. Stop yes. sinning. Follow God. Absolutely. And so, porneo, Jesus, Jesus quotes God the Father when he says. For a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Anything outside of that is porneo. Yeah. And so that's clear. And then finally, their thefts. They would not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immoralities, or their thefts. And so mankind, when faced with a wicked killing machine, rather than cry out to, to God for, and repent, doubles down on their sin and says, nope, I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. Which is, it, for me, of all the things that, again, it's, it's, it's amazing to see that even in things, in, in the timeline of we don't know when this timeline happens, we don't know, we have, we really don't have a clue in terms of when this is going to be activated or whatever, but the application that we can find here is to check my heart, to make sure that constantly, if the Lord is pointing something out in my life that I need to turn away from, that I need to flee from, that I need to repent from, that my heart needs to draw near to the Savior and repent of the things that have become idols in my life. Whatever sin that I've put on the throne has to come down so that he can rule and reign in my life. Even though that's antithetical to us as, as believers, it's how it works. And if Amen. I trust if I trust in who Jesus is and follow him, then that idol can't stand. And so the application that I find here, even even again, because you think in Revelation, and I mean this is just the end time stuff. It's a good study. It's a good study. The application that's here is 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 super rich into how I live my life and how I can guard my own heart. Amen. Well, on that note, go serve your king. And next week we're gonna have a interlude. Uh, it's a weird we, break. It's a strange. weird break. So meanwhile, back at the throne. <laughs> All right, go serve your king. Thank you guys again for joining us on this week's episode of Not Another Revelation Podcast. You can join us live in person each Sunday at North Plinko Baptist Church at 10 a.m. Or you can go to our website, northplinko.org, to watch our live stream or check out our other podcasts, ministry information, past sermons, and past worship service. Thank you guys for tuning in.